Welcome to the For the Church podcast, yet another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and I thank you for listening. Today I've got with me one of my favorite pastors in the world, Dave Harvey. How are you, Dave? Great to be with you, Jared. Dave is the executive director of the Sojourn Network, the author of several books, including a new one we'll talk about here shortly, and also a pastor. And Dave, you've uh, recently made a transition in local church ministry. Why don't you start uh, by telling us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, Yeah, I kind of have three different roles uh, on the ministry side of life. Uh, Of course, I've got the most important role is... uh, husband to Kim. We've been married about 35 years. Uh, But on the ministry side, I've got a role with Sojourn Network. Uh, Sojourn Network is a a church planting network that kind of helps pastors plant and grow and and, uh, and multiply churches. And so I serve them as the executive director. And I've been doing that for about uh, three and a half years, some of that in consulting, and then the last two as the executive director. And then uh, I have a pastoral role, and this is kind of the second one, uh, where for the last three and a half years I've served in Tallahassee as a pastor of preaching at a church called Four Oaks Community Church. It's a a multi-site church in Sojourn Network down here in Tallahassee. And uh, after about a year of serving in that role, I began to work with Sojourn Network as well. So I was doing part-time Sojourn Network, part-time Four Oaks, and the network began to grow, and that was requiring a little bit more travel, and that became increasingly difficult to uh, to do from Tallahassee to lead the network from Tallahassee. Tallahassee transportation, as you know, Jared does not exactly <laughs> cooperate with travel, and uh, it, it can be expensive, and so the Sojourn Network board was asking for more time and. Uh, and the elders here at Four Oaks thought that was wise. And and so we began uh, looking for another location where I could serve as a part-time pastor and then lead the network part-time from a location that was more conducive to the travel and to leading the network. So I, I wanted to remain a part of a local church. I didn't want to go full-time network. I, I wanted to... Yeah, I wanted the experience of being on a team in a local church. Uh, I wanted to be able to export kind of out of what I was doing in the local church to the network and, you know, to enjoy local accountability as well. And so it remained important to find a good location. And that, that kind of triggered a search. And we, we ended up uh, identifying a church in Fort Naples, which is called Summit Church. And it's a multi-state church in Fort Naples or in Fort Myers, and in the Naples area, and that's it's part of Sojourn Network as well. And uh, you know, over the last year, the more we've gotten to know each other, the more it just seemed like God was inviting us to consider the the larger implications of the relationship. And and uh, they seemed like they were a church and a team that could handle the complexities of having me there with with the network and, and all that. So I'm going to be relocating soon. And I'll be a teaching pastor down there, and then I'll also run Sojourn Network down from down there. And uh, so I'll, be, the, I'll do, be doing the part-time local church, part-time Sojourn Network thing, but I'll be doing it from another part of Florida. <laughs> 
That's great. Well, you know, I have appreciated in having to get, you know, gotten to know you over the last couple of years, uh, mainly in the context there at Four Oaks, um, just your heart for the local church. And so I just want to commend you for uh, this commitment, not just to the network and the broader ministry there, but um, your commitment to stay embedded, um, as it were, with a congregation and, and, and serve there in the context of a body. Um, tell me a little bit well, about about the Sojourn Network um, generally. I mean, what's something uh, unique, I guess, that Sojourn Network you know kind of brings to the ministry table? Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't start by a description of our unique distinctives because I think networks all play a uh, you know an important function. I, I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to really help pastors plant churches that last and i think that's probably on the heart of every network and but they throw accents in different places all right and uh and so i think you know what what we're trying to do is rather than just give a a head nod to that those final two words of that last we we really want that to have integrity and substance and so we want to give ourselves to healthy lead pastors. We want to give ourselves to healthy pluralities and healthy churches and healthy multiplication. So, I, you know, I think that it, it, it causes us to have to give time and effort and, and money not only to the, the missional side of church planting, but also to some facets of care, uh, which isn't always as, as uh, you know, evangelistically sexy, but it's a it's a reality of what's going to help churches to to last. That's right. Well, well, I mean, speak to that for a second. What are some important components of, say, mentoring or the or the kind of care um, towards health that um, that a lot of churches maybe or or ministries uh, sometimes miss, or that maybe um, pastors themselves, as they focus on a lot of kind of the nuts and bolts leadership type things, or, or even theology, exegesis, that sort of thing. What are some sort of soul care, pastoral care issues um, that we tend to miss? Well, I know for myself that uh, in my first 10 years of ministry, I, I think it was really easy for me to skip over the importance of, of application. And, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about the nuts and bolts or guys just kind of embedded in theology, I think that there is a, there is a way that we define success, particularly on the reform side, that can have much to do with the soundness of our doctrine, which I applaud, but doesn't think as intentionally about the importance of, of application for, for ministry. So, you know, I don't know if that's a, a concern for legalism or a, a sense that, you know, when you begin teaching application, you somehow build people into into you. But there's an orientation I think we we have, Jared, where, you know, when we when we go to think about preaching or, or exposition or when we go to think even about counseling, application doesn't seem to be an instinctive or, or, or default part of how we think about it. And yet, being a disciple of Jesus means being a, a doer of the Word. And, and, and ministry is about helping people become doers of the Word. And so, I, I, I'm not talking about dictating specific application, but just, just being able to arm 
leaders, armed pastors, armed young leaders with the importance of application to helping people move move forward. And I think the importance of grounding application also in the gospel so that our application is never just, you know, try harder. Right. Um, but it, it, it starts with the reality that Christ has tried and Christ has succeeded for us, and that offers help and power for, for Monday morning. So, you know, when you're sitting across from the young guy who has this, you know, pension for pornography, um, the application is not just, hey, you, you need to just shut it down and, and flee immorality. Like, I think flee immorality is important, but I think we want to be talking application in the way that talks about how the gospel arms us to flee immorality, that Christ died for that sin, that the dominion of that sin is broken because of the cross, that, we, you know, that we've been given a new heart with new desires and that can cause us to draw to Christ and observe and, and be infatuated with his beauty, and, and that will inflame you know, superior desires for him. So, so it's, just, it's just taking the application, not simply to do this, don't do that, but, but to the gospel and finding in the gospel the, the power and beauty of what God calls us to. Yeah. Do you think, is there something in particular about um, evangelicalism or our strain of evangelicalism um, that sort of is preventing or, or sort of sets the pastor up uh, to fail in this way. Um, a lot of pastors I know um, are thinking about application um, to their congregation, but they seem uh, oh, either overworked or just too busy, or for some reason there's a disconnect in applying to themselves or maybe even taking the time to think about applying to themselves. Is that just natural um, because of our flesh? It's just you know the nature of humanity, or is there something in, in the way we do church typically um, that sort of prevents the pastor from doing that, do you think? I think in the Reformed community, there is a, there's a noble instinct to want to protect people from the kind of legalism that can emerge when application is joined to the life of the preacher, so that the life of the preacher becomes the embodiment of the application. And and so I think there's a good instinct in the in the thoughtful, reformed, evangelical community that wants to avoid that. I think, and so it is avoided, and uh, and there isn't training that arms pastors and leaders to have an eye for for reading scripture and. And walking away, or, or at least while we're reading Scripture, engaging it in such a way as to ask, what claim does this make upon my soul? What claim does this make upon my roles? My role as a husband, my role as a father, my role as a, as a, as a pastor of this church or, or a leader. And so we don't, we don't receive training uh, from the church or, and oftentimes from the seminary environment for how to make those connections between life and passage. And so guys get dumped into the church, and, and they just end up expositing and limiting exposition to an explanation 
of the of the history and the uh, of the passage itself, but completely omitting the claim that the passage would make. And one of the things I tell guys, Jared, is I, I think a great way to learn about application is just to read material on counseling. Um, I can't tell you how much reading like Dave Pollison stuff has has transformed my understanding of how to apply in preaching. Because when I when I read some of the stuff he writes, uh, and other guys as well, other women as well, but just how it, the counseling mindset basically embeds you in the mind of the other person sitting across the table and and helps you to understand how they're thinking, helps you to crawl in there and then bring passages and scripture to bear. And it, it, it just cultivates a way of thinking that I think can translate into the pulpit. Yeah, I think you're right. This, this past week I had um, the opportunity to speak to uh, students at Lancaster Bible College, and I, I visited uh, a preaching class, did a lecture in there, and in the question and answer time, I made a point about um, sermon preparation, that the pastor's sermon preparation, he should spend as, as much time um, looking at his chosen text devotionally um, as he does, you know, exegetically. So, you know, the preparation must be done not simply to deliver the Word, but to make sure that the Word's actually impacted their heart. And I could see um, for a few of the students in there, they hadn't quite wrapped their mind around that. And there w- was even this sort of sense of compartmentalization where one of the students, you know, sort of re- responded to kind of ask me um, how that fits into his quiet time. Can his sermon prep, you know, double as his quiet time and that sort of thing? Um, you know, but the idea that sermon prep actually prepares the preacher, uh, you know, his own heart, that, um, you know, we ought to be preparing this feast for uh, for our flock um, in such a way that, you know, the text has shaped us and impacted us. Um, I think we just tend to run ahead. We we think in these sort of mechanical ways sometimes about about ministry. Um, we've seen just, yeah. you know, in, in, in the last couple of years, uh, you know, a few high-profile falls, uh, some resignations. Um, what can a church do? Be, uh, you know, so often these things happen, and churches just seem completely blindsided uh, by these things, or, or at least that's the you know the response that we seem uh, to perceive that you know, they're taken by surprise. What can we do to kind of encourage our pastors along these lines to to take the self application without seeming like you know we're micromanaging or or, or being little you know, legalistic do-gooders checking over their shoulder, but how can we look after their heart and make sure that we don't get blindsided by these kinds of things? Yeah. You know, I, I think the celebrity pastor phenomenon is is sparking a lot of good conversation. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm humbled each time I hear of, of someone that might have fallen some way because, and I, 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 I'm not so deluded to think that it can't be me. Um, and I, I think there is that sense that, you know, we approach these things holding within our heart uh, that idea that thereby the grace of God go I. Um, but when I think about, you know, the different situations that I'm aware of, Jared, and, you know, what, what connections there may be, I, I certainly wouldn't want to oversimplify this, but I, I do think there is a common connection in in the application of of plurality um, and, and accountability specifically within plurality and and some of these high profile flameouts. 
Um, you know, I, I think there is a habit, for instance, of of kind of um, guys outsourcing their care. Um, you know, so so you, you have pastors that are are professionalizing care for themselves by finding it entirely outside of the plurality, and sometimes even outside of the the church itself. And um, it, it's not like I don't think that there's any place for that. I I do think there's a place for professional care, for coaching. I, I thank God for seminaries and partnerships. I mean, you know, I lead a network. I, I, I'm not throwing stones. But it's it's that we, we can't really, as, as lead pastors, we can't preach local church. We can't preach pastors in care and then exempt ourselves out of care from others, you know, when a defining moment comes into our life. And and I think this is especially true of pastors of larger churches where, you know, it's kind of like their role as a large church pastor um, somehow comes with this get out of local church care free card. They get, they get slapped on the table when when they, they're really tempted or they're going into some kind of significant marriage or family difficulty. And I, I think it, it undermines the whole intent of and experience of plurality in the local church. I, I, you know, a great way to undermine healthy plurality is to subtly communicate to the men around you that when you need help, boy, they're insufficient. You know, <laughs> you need the big guns. You need to get people from the outside. Um, and so I think that, that, you know, it's really important that we, that we have people in the local church that we're vitally connected to, and that, that, that connection not only includes encouragement and, uh, and, and occasionally admonishment, but, but there's a genuine accountability that, yeah, we'll pull in extra local folk or professionals when we need to, but it doesn't replace them. And... Uh, and it's you know so I think there's this outsourcing care thing, and then there's the other side of that coin is is guys that might have folks around them a, a kind of plurality, but they're they're reluctant. They're they're kind of reluctant plurality, and uh, they're as a result they're not really accountable because of the people that they have surrounded themselves. So a celebrity pastor doesn't typically want accountability they're they're probably looking for some they're probably looking more for loyalty mm. and so the people around them form a kind of um, echo chamber or an entourage and, and and there's this entourage mentality where they're surrounded by encouragers and supporters but not necessarily truth tellers so you know if if we surround ourselves with people that have desires satisfied by accommodating us they'll never correct us they'll never bring truth to us so um i I, my my point in all that is that it's not just having local accountability it's having courageous accountability it's people that that will will speak truth and and a wise leader will will surround himself with them that's great Hey, let's take a coffee break here and hear from our host, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Midwestern College is preparing and equipping the leaders of today and tomorrow. 
our students continue to be agents of change both in the United States and around the world. The unique community environment at Midwestern College fosters spiritual, personal, and academic growth as students deepen their understanding of the Word of God and the world He created. With our dual degree option, students can get grounded in the truth while getting ready for the marketplace. Our Accelerate program allows students to pursue both their Bachelor of Arts and their Master of Divinity simultaneously in one intensive five-year program. Midwestern College, both residential and online degrees available. Midwestern is the sensible option for preparing and equipping the leaders of today and tomorrow. Find out more at midwesterncollege.com. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Ministry degree program is your next step in training for local ministry. The Doctor of Ministry program at Midwestern Seminary is designed to equip and train leaders with a commitment to the local church. With multiple emphases available, including counseling, church revitalization, expository preaching, leadership, and missions, among others, your program provides the equipping you need in practical theology for direct church work and ministry leadership. And because all of our doctoral programs are modular, you don't have to leave your current ministry to pursue your degree. For more information, visit mbts.edu today. That's mbts.edu. Now, back to the podcast. What are some ways, um, you know, churches can sort of encourage their pastors? Uh, I'm thinking of the guy or gal who's listening right now. Um, you know, they've seen some of these these headlines, and every time something, uh, you know, you know, goes down, there's a disappointment, there's a fall. Uh, you know, they're thinking, you know, gosh, I need to pray for my pastor, and and I want to encourage them in some way, uh, but they can't quite figure out how. You know, I mean, the most visible ways that we do that tends to be to you know, to thank our pastor for their sermon and, and that sort of thing. Um, what are some, some ways we can encourage our pastors to kind of help them along uh, that we don't often think of? Yeah. Well, I would, I would encourage uh, your listeners not to take the sermon off the list. because I, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think it's, it's good for people to think about how they would want to be related to if they spent, you know, 15 hours in one week to serve a specific group and, uh, you know, whether that would help them to be encouraged in some way. That's I, a great point. That. But, I, you know, I think it means a lot more than just aiming it at the guy. For instance, I, I think the wives, uh, uh, for, for the man who's married, it can mean, it can make an incredible statement to him and a very loud statement of the church's love or a person's love for them to, to go and encourage his wife. Um, because the wives, I, I can guarantee you, they live wondering whether they are incidental um, or do do people really understand how much of their service behind the scenes makes his ministry successful? Um, I think the wise pastor knows this and, and probably celebrates it at home, but it's good for the people in the church to acknowledge it and and celebrating it celebrated as well. So that's one thing that uh, that comes to mind. Just encouraging his wife. I, I think I think another way to encourage him would be to to pay him like you value him. Um, and I, I'm not talking about excessively, um, but I'm talking about you know enough to provide for his family and and you know date his wife and and if you're in an area where this is reasonable you know maybe maybe buy a starter home or something yeah so i i think again those are loud statements 
that, uh, that resonate and resound with a pastor, uh, but they're places where a parishioner's mind might not necessarily go. Um, I, think, I think pastors are, are very vulnerable after they preach. Um, Mondays can be a very discouraging day. So, um, you know, a, an encouragement on Monday, a, a written encouragement, whether it's an email or a text or maybe you go old school and, and, and write a note. But delivering it on the day is a great on, on a Monday is a great way to anticipate almost when he's being attacked and to arm him with, you know, the truth of you, what you see and, and your perspective. And if you're not excited about, you know, his messages, then then just share about how the gospel's making a difference in your life through the church. But there, you know, there's something that can be that can be encouraging to the pastor from you on a Monday. So, yeah, those are some things that, that jump immediately to mind. That's good. Hey, let's shift gears here just for a second and talk about you have a new book, uh, fairly new, co-authored with Paul Gilbert, um, called Letting Go, Rugged Love for Wayward Souls. Uh, I read right. it. Uh, I endorsed it mainly um, because I think it meets a very noticeable need in uh, the sort of growing field of gospel-centered books, um, taking on a subject I haven't quite seen uh, addressed, or at least addressed this way and this well. Um, so tell us about the inspiration um, behind the book and how you uh, hope it'll help others. Well, I think the the inspiration was um, certainly personal. Um, you know, Paul and I have both had wayward family members, and we have been touched by the mind-numbing array of emotions that seems to accompany that experience. Um, so there, there's a personal side. Uh, there's a but there's a pastoral side as well. If we're if we're talking about inspiration, um, you know, between Paul and, and I, we probably have over over 50 years of experience in pastoring. Um, Paul's Paul's got his PhD in family counseling, and and so so we have a range of experience in in helping folks or or failing to help folks um, in this area. And and Jared, it's it's remarkable that when you begin talking to people, you don't have to scratch very far before you engage the fact that they are either personally involved with or somebody close to them is personally involved with some wayward situation that is is pushing forward questions or wrecking their soul or or they're in this interpretive vacuum and don't know what to do. And and so we, we realized also, man, there's so many people out there to whom this applies. So I think those are the kinds of things that were bouncing around in our mind when we went to to write it. Yeah, I you know I think most people who have been in that situation or in a situation like that, you're trying to love someone who you know is not receiving your love or you know simply um, you know using I suppose, and and we you know have that that question of. Uh, you know the difference between being a a doormat and being an enabler, um, but then feeling like maybe we're being you know legalistic or ungracious. And so I just thought the book was so helpful in in helping um, you know the reader navigate biblically how to discern. Um, you know, it really is a a matter you know you know so often of spiritual discernment 
um, mm-hmm. where there aren't just these sort of, you know, easy peasy black and white answers always. And so I just thought the book was very pastoral, very um, helpful in sort of shaping uh, a gospeled heart uh, for those kind of situations. Well, I think what we what we wanted to do um, was we wanted to kind of plant in the center of the book this idea of of God's love as being a rugged love, and uh, that's actually in the title, rugged love for for wayward souls. And you know, it's 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 not some kind of new revelation on love, but it's it's really just it's a return to an old application of love that I think can get lost in a in a a therapeutic, sentimental, romanticized vision of love that we we can hear about today so often. And uh, it, it's the kind of love that recognizes that I think there are, there are some kinds of of fallenness, Jared, you know, where and, and you you've probably encountered this in your own pastoral ministry where where there are people that that just become so entrenched in their selfishness, that they can lock into patterns of of behavior that are destructive to relationships. They're destructive even to their own personhood, and they they develop this this almost uh, dream world where they want they want to make choices, but they don't want to have to live with the consequences of those choices. They want absolute autonomy, and they don't want any accountability with that autonomy and and uh, you know, it's it's this prodigal mindset where life is about just in self indulgence, and and it's never about accepting responsibility. And so, and so, what we were trying to say is, you know, that that kind of being, you know, that kind of fallenness needs to experience the rugged side of love, love with teeth, um, a, a love that is. You know, strong enough to face evil, a love that is tenacious enough to do good and courageous enough to enforce consequences and sturdy enough to be patient. And we we have a number of different categories like that that we outline in the book. Um, but it's it's kind of at the center of of the book. And what we're what we're trying to do is we're trying to 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 call people to a to a kind of love that isn't just responding and reacting out of fear isn't narrowly defined or applied simply because we need peace or we want to resolve a situation but it really does have the long view in or the, you know the, the the long game in view and uh, and sees in scripture that that there are times that God will will let people go there's a kind of there's a redemptive release where God will let people go um, and allow the consequences of their choices, of their sins, to tutor them back to Him, and and that is an expression of of the love of God. It, it's funny, Jared. Just within the past 24 hours, I was on the phone with someone from uh, comes from a background of addiction, and uh, and and he was telling me, you know, it wasn't until I was in a sink or swim position that reality just shook loose in my mind and categories of, of morality began to come into, into focus for me. All the people that were trying to intervene, all the people that were trying to help me couldn't do that for me. 
Um, and he was saying, you know, there's the, there's this temptation that people have to just he called it love an addict to death, where we we help them in ways that that perpetuate the problem because we're afraid or we feel like we just need to do something in the name of leadership or do something in the name of parenting or do something in the name of love. Um, but he was making the point that actually those consequences are the things that have this tutoring effect that that no amount of toleration or no amount of of appeasement can ever deliver. So uh, it was really fascinating to hear that from somebody who had just just walked down that road uh, in a recent conversation. Yeah, the, the book is called Letting Go, Rugged Love for Wayward Souls. Uh, if you're uh, a pastor, layperson, someone loving a prodigal child, spouse, friend, uh, go get this book. I guarantee it will be helpful. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for joining us, brother. Thanks for inviting me on, Jared. Yeah. It's good it, to hear from you. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, we'll be praying all the best for you in your new role in Naples and, of course, continuing with the Sojourn Network. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.